this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Going out of town this summer? Protect what matters most with 24-7 professionally monitored home security from Protect America. The nation's best home security starts at only $19.99 per month. For over 25 years, Protect America has offered award-winning home security with low monthly costs, low upfront costs, and locked-in rates. The other guys can't say that. Visit protectamerica.com book to get $5 off your monthly monitoring. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 209. We're recording on Friday, May 12th. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky. We're coming to you from bookriot.com. It's part two of mom's, dad's, grad's summer reading recommendation. The electric we, boogaloo. The, 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 you're going to miss Mother's Day for this one. So we got, you know, we, we're giving you two episodes, but the second one is coming after probably you're buying Mother's Day gifts. Now, maybe buy them late, whatever. There's a couple here that we could have gotten to earlier, but we decided to do two shows. So rather than not get anything at all, you're getting your rec late. So there you go. Yeah, it's my fault. I had to get out quickly last week, so I'd get ready it's for not your vacation. Fault. We did an hour. We did an hour. Go hold some baby goats. I'm not yeah. sorry. I'm oh, just okay. you know well, you acknowledging. Fault. It's fault, my fault implies guilt. <laughs> Doesn't it? My responsibility, it's its on me that we did a quick show last week. No, I think an, an hour is fine. Is this lady fine. training? Am I lady training Yeah, right we do an okay. hour show. Yeah. That's what we do. All right, thank Sometimes you. we have in the past, you're right, done a longer show for recommendations, but we're actually going to give the people two hours of recommendations rather than 90 minutes, so We I don't, don't know. know anybody a two-hour show. You're right. Okay, it's I'm our recovering. It's show. We do what we want. Mm-hmm. It's true. That and the advertisers. It's their show, too, I guess, sometimes. <laughs> All right, let's get into it because we're going to do it now. Yes. So, our first question uh, this week is from Heidi. She's looking for a recommendation for her mother in law, whose favorite author is Kate Morton. She really likes a mix of past and present and generally prefers historical fiction. Heidi lent her The Meaning of Night, The Underground Railroad, and recently pressed Home Going on her. Good job, Heidi. Um, mm-hmm. Also, she travels a lot for work, so she prefers paperbacks. Um, what do we recommend? Um, so I'm picking up kind of the 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 troika of fiction by black authors last year. I think it was well. There's Behold the Dreamers, Underground Railroad, and Homegoing, mm-hmm. and then The Mothers. So that's my first pick. Um, the Mothers by Britt Bennett. So if she wants to round out, kind of, the, there was a great year for 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 black writers and black novels last year, and The Mothers is the other one to throw into that mix. So if she liked Underground Railroad and Homegoing, The Mothers is not in the same vein, but it's in the same like really great year of contemporary um, black writing. So past and present, there's a mix of that too. The Mothers, I mean, it's sort of historical. I mean, it's weird. It's it's an, it's a, it's low. I guess it feels historical. It feels historical because it's it's super grounded in 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 a place and a time, right? Mm-hmm. So um, basically, I think the t- you know I, I read this recently. I think the title is a little bit wrong about the mothers, but anyway, that's that's a different sort of situation. It's about a young woman growing up in a largely black community in California. It's outside L.A. or San Diego. It's between L.A. and San Diego or something, right? Uh, yeah, somewhere in California. Somewhere in California. Now, Small town in I, California. Yeah, if you had to drop a pin on it, I wouldn't sure where it is, but yeah, somewhere no. by the coast because they do go to the beach. 
And it's about her growing up, and she gets into a relationship with somebody, um, and it has complications, and it's just really interesting, juicy, difficult, um, beautiful, thoughtful writing. Um, so it's in that vein. So I, I feel like that mix of past and present is what I'm also picking up there, in addition to the Underground Road and Homegoing. Um, the other thing I'm going to have here, this is historical fiction. It's a paperback. It's kind of a lighter read. I think it's good for traveling. I don't like to read heavy stuff while I'm traveling. And the Mother's isn't super heavy. Homegoing, I think, is mm-hmm. pretty heavy. Yeah. So I like something lighter to travel in. I read this recently. I'm in, in, in part of my great 2017 reading binge, I've been just sort of picking up stuff people like, whether mm-hmm. or not I feel like I'm going to like it myself. Like, is this my genre or not? I don't care. It's anymore. charming as all get out, this book yeah, you're about this book, to pick. Yeah, it is very charming. Guernsey Literary Potato Pill Society. It's a it's an epistolary novel. It's told in letters back and forth between um, this woman who's a journalist slash author who basically strikes up a correspondence with a whole town, um, Guernsey, which is an island in the English channels between France and England. Um, and this happens, it takes place in the years directly after World War II. And she strikes up a literary correspondence with them and about this literary society that they started. And I don't want to give away why they started, because that's part of the plot and that's part of the fun. The, the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. I always skip that pie for some reason. <laughs> Um, but it's really charming. If you like books, like I can see why people like this book. Oh yeah, like, and if you like like eighty four Charing Cross Road, yeah, that's on my list too. I haven't gotten to that one yet, <sighs> but I, I want to read that. I'm looking forward to that. Oh, Rebecca, did I lose you? Oh no, I'm here. I was oh, just okay. chiming in. You're, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, <laughs> you're just oh, you're just sighing. I was like, I was waiting uh, for the, <laughs> no, the, the, the 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 side continuance to go on. <laughs> so it's it's charming. You like books. It's a. It's, I read it in one sitting. Um, but yeah, it's th- those are those are my two picks. Uh, I forget the author's name. There's, it's written by a woman and then her niece who co- co-wrote it with her. Annie Barrows a, and someone. Yeah, I can't remember. Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Society. There's not namespace pollution around the title, so you kind of don't need the author. <laughs> yeah. And then The Mother's by Britt Bennett. I don't know if I said Britt Bennett's name, but um, The Mother's by Britt Bennett. Those are my two picks. Yeah, if you go into a bookstore and you're like, something potato peel, yeah, something, writer, something. Yeah, they, they know. They yeah. all know. They all know. Yeah, that came out during my bookseller days, and mm. it was a ton of fun to get the sort of garbled versions of the title from people. (laughs) And yeah, that's what I get for interrupting you is I I had like three words to say and then I just sighed. So (laughs) we're just getting all of our awkwardness out here in the first, shake my wiggles out in the first 10 minutes. Um, My first pick, I'm sorry to say, violates your paperback request, but is really excellent. It's called Saints for All Occasions by J. Courtney Sullivan. Uh, This is a brand new novel. It just came out like last week about um, two sisters who come over to Boston from Ireland in the 1940s. The older sister, Nora, is very responsible, uptight, I think it's fair to call her. Um, The younger sister is a little more freewheeling, and she is only 17 when they come over. She starts going out to dances in Boston. She meets a man. She finds herself pregnant. Um, and well, this is kind of similar to the mothers. Um, mm-hmm. They, The two sisters make a decision about what to do about the younger sister's pregnancy. Because again, this is like a very Catholic family in 1940s Boston. This is not acceptable. Um, that the decision affects their family for generations to come. When the book opens, uh, Nora, the older sister, has found out that one of her sons has died, and she has called the other sister at the convent where she's been living for several decades. She has become a nun to inform her that the son is dead, and it turns out that 
none of Nora's children, she has four children, know that she even ever had a sister. So it bounces back and forth between present day, like in the mid 2000s, where we see Nora and Teresa as adults, Nora as a mother of four grown children. We spend time with all four of those grown children as well to understand what this family is like. We see Teresa at the convent where she has lived for several decades, and then it flashes back to gradually unwind their history of the journey to Boston, of what happened after they made the decision that they made about Teresa's child, and then about how this split happened, how Teresa ended up becoming a nun, um, and then eventually how the two sisters became estranged from each other. I love J. Courtney Sullivan's writing. It's very compelling. She writes really gorgeous, sort of like when you're in the middle of a very compelling like family drama, sometimes coming across a really gorgeous sentence is surprising, but she just does it so consistently that you're like, of course my family drama is this beautiful. Um, It's really wonderful. So that's Saints for All Occasions by J. Courtney Sullivan. Out in paperback is Orhan's Inheritance by Aileen Ohanesian. Um, I read this, I think, last year. Really wonderful novel about a young man whose grandfather built a dynasty out of making rugs, and he is found dead, submerged in a vat of dye. Um, Orhan thinks that he's going to inherit his grandfather's business, but it turns out that his grandfather left the whole family estate to a woman who lives like a thousand thousands of miles away in Los Angeles. This is like modern day Turkey, I think is when the story I begins. love these stories. I love the stories of like, uh, someone thought they were going to get an inheritance, but really it's some rando or yeah. the inverse, which is I randomly got an inheritance. What am I going to do? I love yes. these stories. Anyway, oh, good. go ahead. You need to read this. Yeah, this I'm, is, in, yeah. I'm in. I'm in on that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, this I, is good. I didn't know that was a niche, but like, I like uh-huh. those stories. Yeah, it is a niche. You're right. I uh-huh. hadn't thought about that. Um, yeah, so he goes to Turkey to try to find out, like, what is the deal with the inheritance? And then he finds himself having to go to Los Angeles to find this woman who is supposed to now be the recipient of his grandfather's whole company. And what's her story? How did the grandfather know her? Moreover, why did he leave her everything? And it also bounces back between the present day of Orhan trying to undo this mystery and the past of how the grandfather knew the woman. And so I think there are points, it's been a little while since I read it, but I think there are also points where the reader knows more about what's going on than the characters have figured out yet. And I always find that to be really pleasurable when it's done well. So that's Orhan's Inheritance, O-R-H-A-N, by Aline Ohanesian. Dramatic irony, they call that, when you know more than the characters. Love that. I like that too. I didn't know that was the technical term for that. I've heard dramatic irony, irony, but I didn't know that's what it meant. Yeah. Another favorite one of mine, literary terms I throw out every now, it's called pathetic fallacy, which Mm -hmm. just is a great term by itself, but it's like when the atmosphere or the weather matches characters' feelings. So, like, the common one is someone's sad and it's raining, right? Uh huh. Or it's a, you know, it's a Tom Cruise singing Free Fallen, it comes on the radio, and it's a sunny day after in uh, Jerry Maguire. Pathetic fallacy. <laughs> Perfect. Pathetic anyway, fallacy. There you go. I like uh, that Alcr- one. Let's talk about our first sponsor. So it's Alcrate. Mm-hmm. Alcrate is this monthly subscription box service for bookworms. Every month they send out a new released young adult novel as well as a whole bunch of fun bookish goodies to go along with the book. There's a different, unique theme every month, and lots of the items included in the boxes are handmade from small businesses. You know you know what we're talking about, like Etsy and stuff like that. And most of them are exclusives, so you can't find them anywhere else. Alcrate has also begun sending out books with exclusive cover designs, which is super cool, um, making them even more special. They've also recently launched a brand new book box for kids called Alcrate Jr. Similar concept, but the books and goodies are tailored to boys and girls ages 8 to 12. 
at least one of the three to five goodies included in each Alcrate Junior box is an activity. So it's not just a book or a you know a, a hat or something. It's something you can you can use your hands and do something else with. So it's like a little you know a little monthly splurge um, for you or your kid or a kid you know or maybe you like you know some people out there are librarians or teachers they want to get something expose them to different things. You can go you go to Alcrate um, dot com and you can get ten percent off your order with offer code Book Riot ten. All one word. Go to just search for Alcrate. You'll find it anywhere. That's that's the one that they do it. But use the offer code to get ten percent off your order. Make a little recurring thing happen in your life. YA kids, a lot of people out there. Really good graduation gift for a high school student or a middle school student. Um, also would be a great uh, Christmas gift. You know, a lot of us mm-hmm. want to buy books for young people, but we may not be you know, read those genres or read that level of books ourselves, but Alcrate, this is what they do for their living. So it's like, you know, fire it and forget it. Um, Alcrate, thank you much, so much for sponsoring the show. All right, let me do the next one. I'll read the yeah. next one. I'll okay. read the, I, I, didn't, I didn't look over my picks again, so it's like a surprise. Like, what did I pick for this? <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. So um, I just recently learned that one of my coworkers is, is a FTM, female to male trans, and I'm really excited to be part of his world by knowing. Uh, uh, by knowing what's going on. Uh, he is still in stealth mode, as he called it, not, which means that not many people know. I would love some recommendation to get his shoes a little bit more. I read a lot of YA fiction and fiction in general, but anything is great. If it is nonfiction, audiobooks, please. I am right with you there, Rye, on nonfiction for audiobooks. Thank you guys so much. I love this. Okay, this nice things about us, blah, blah, blah. Rye, yes, like Rye bed. Um, I haven't read this book, but it's the one that when it came out, I guess it was last year or the year before, um, a lot of people that I know um, that care about trans representation were recommending it. The author themselves um, is genderqueer. It's George by Alex Gino, I believe is how you say the last name. Yes. Uh, Alex Gino. It's a young adult novel, and that is the one that I see people talking about. So go check it out. Read the synopsis for yourself. I'd, I don't want to say any more about it just because I haven't read it myself. I went out and found a recommendation. The other one um, that I did this, a similar thing for is A Boy Like Me by Jenny Wood, also a young adult novel. Go check it out. Read the synopsis. Think if it sounds like it's something right for you. Sounds like it, it applies to your particular situation. Again, I don't know that much about these books or this particular genre, so I did a little homework. And all I'm passing on to you is the title and author right now. Um, so, it's George by Alex Gino and A Boy Like Me by Jenny Wood. I've actually read several memoirs, but um, I noticed when I was going back through all of my records about this that all of the memoirs about trans life that I've read have been male to female. I noticed a similar um, thing in doing the homework. Yeah, it's really on the, interesting. On the nonfiction side. Uh, if, so if any of you listening know yeah. of great memoirs by female-to-male trans folks, please let us know. We can do a follow-up shout-out mm-hmm. on a future episode. Um, but the one that I read most recently that I really loved is Redefining Realness by Janet Mock. She is she's kind of everything. She's like a TV pop culture host. She is a writer. She's an advocate. She does a lot of work for trans representation in media, but also for um, expanding the cultural conversation about what it means to be trans and for fighting for trans representation sort of all across the board. She's just really unflinchingly honest and 
candid about her experience and redefining realness um, is her story. Also, I think it's interesting, like a lot of the memoirs, at least that I've read, have been about older people and people Mm. in their sort of middle age reflecting on discovering their Mm. trans identity and what their transition was like. Um, And Janet Mock is like, she's a millennial. She uh, started discovering for herself what her identity was when she was a teenager. And she writes about being in high school. She grew up relatively poor in Hawaii. She's a person of color as well. So being at the time, you know, a, a young trans woman figuring out how to be a trans woman uh, in in Hawaii, which is a small place, but she found a community of other trans women who could guide her way. Um, she had some very difficult experiences trying to survive on her own and now, you know, is incredibly successful. Um, and she just writes very openly about not only the sort of internal turmoil, which is a thing that often is centered in in narratives of trans identity, and that from my understanding and some of the criticism should not be centered quite so much, perhaps, um, but also about that the turmoil comes from that the culture does not accept you and that you don't know where to fit in, or people don't know how to talk to you about who you are and what it is to be accepted. And she just writes really love. It's, it's very lovely writing about these very difficult issues of being marginalized, being misunderstood, that being trans is about more than like being a woman trapped in a man's body mm-hmm. um, or vice versa, but largely has to do with, you know, not having a place in the culture, not having a place in the community. And um, for her being a trans woman of color, that is, you know, it's sort of three times over marginalization, mm-hmm. or if you're talking about intersectionality, those are three very oppressed identities that come together. Um, and what it is to try to overcome, not just being a woman of color, not just being trans, but being a trans woman of color. Um, it's really, really terrific. She has another book coming out soon. June, um, yeah. Yeah, that I'm really, it's called Surpassing Certainty, What My 20s Taught Me. I will be reading that very soon Great as title. well. Yeah. Um, but I really, really loved Redefining Realness. And I read it in print, but I've heard that the audio version mm. is terrific. Um, I wish that I had listened to it on audio because I also love memoirs on audio, like driving around listening to a smart, thoughtful friend. So pick up Redefining Realness by Janet Mock. Um, Let's see. Recommendation request. I have a niece who's graduating from high school in June and then heading to college in the fall. She's an avid reader, very bright, and I would say is transitioning between reading mainly YA and mainly adult fiction. She likes science fiction, fantasy a lot, but will read horror if it's on the lighter side, or even historical or contemporary fiction. She hates love triangle stories and any book with much of an element of heterosexual romance. Recent favorites carry on by Rainbow Roll, Sleeping Giants, Rowell. Rowl. Rowl rhymes Rowl. with towel. Dang it. Sleeping Giants <laughs> by Sylvain Duvel. The Girl Held Against by M.R. Carey. The Fifth Season by N.K. Jemisin. Six of Clothes by Lillard Drigo. She reads a ton. Mm-hmm. It is hard for me to find books she hasn't already read. Any hidden gem type suggestions would be much appreciated. I got a couple here. Um, you didn't mention – I'm going to start with my third – the third thing that came to me third. I fell in love with this series recently. Um, Paper Girls, graphic novel uh, – it's, it's a comic. It's comics. But there's two trade editions out right now, meaning they've collected – I think it's six – um, individual episodes per as paper girls. So the, the short pitch, it's a combination of, uh, stranger things and, um, saga. So how, yeah, done. That's all I have to say, right? That's it. That's, That's it. it. That's it. Um, but it's focused on these, uh, this group of teenage girls who are on a paper route and basically get involved in interdimensional time travel shenanigans, the world ending, but so I'd say the other thing I'd trickle in there is maybe like a maybe a garnish of lumberjanes on top of it. 
there's like a little that's that's a little bit of top of it too. So it's they're fun, they're quirky. It's more it's more adult clearly than lumberjanes because there's violence and people die and things like that. But it's a lot of fun. So it's science fiction, fantasy. You know, I'm not really sure where it falls in. It, it could be considered both. Um, but it's a lot of fun. You can get two trade paperbacks for like 19, uh, both trade vis- uh, editions for like 18 bucks total. A lot of fun. The other one that I got hooked on series, I got hooked on recently, and I'm actually say I have the third one that came out in hardback a few months ago, but I've been saving it because it's long and I've been looking for like a big summer trip or something. But it's the Darker Shade of Magic series by V.E. Schwab. It's fantasy. Um, and I, I guess the way to, the way to, the, 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 the long view is that there are basically four Londons that exist in parallel dimensions and there are portals between them, but only like a certain like handful of people can go between and some kind of something happened in the past where one of the Londons is basically quarantined black London. It's contaminated by this evilness. And then basically the other Londons that radiate, the closer they are to that one, the more trouble they're sort of in. And the the main character is this special kind of being, you know, whatever, the special kind of magician. And magic is more present in some of the Londons than others, but he is special in all of London. And he's the only one that we follow, at least initially, that can communicate between them. And basically the Londons start interacting more than they were have been in the past. Things start to happen it's super, super interesting. Really good characters. It's like a very small kind of cast of characters, but a really beautiful, imaginative, different take on. I don't know the 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 genres very well. Like if this is a sub genre of like this is some kind of combination of urban fantasy and something else. I don't know. All I know is I really liked it. I read the first two volumes immediately. I passed them on to my brothers, um, who sound like the kind of reader your uh, uh, niece is. They're very much in the same vein, a little bit older, but they like, you know, I recommended Sleeping Giants to them. I recommended The Girl with All the Gifts. So this is what I recommended to them next. I think she's getting, this series is getting a little bit more well-known. And certainly the last one I saw, the publishing, the the sales numbers really picked up over the first two. Um, so that's my suggestion. Also, it passes O'Neill's Razor, which is all three books in the series are out. Um, so those are my pick. The other one we talked about, it was our... Um, you know, we tried a, uh, another another iteration of the book riot read along thing. Sorcerer of the Crown by Zen Cho, fantasy, also really interesting. I read the first one and I really liked it, and I've been waiting to get into the second one because I don't think is that one finished yet. That series, Rebecca. Do you oh know if no, that's done? only the first one has come out. Oh, okay. Well, that's why I've been saving the second one because I don't even have it. I've been saving it by <laughs> having not published it for myself. It doesn't even exist. Um, that's Sorcerer of the Crown by Zen Show. And I, I'm, I'm not going to say more about that because we've talked a lot about We had her on the show and everything about that. And I want to get to Rebecca. But Sorcerer of the Crown by Zen Show, Paper Girls by Brian K. Vaughn, Darker Shade of Magic, Trilogy by V.E. Schwab. The first one in the series is called Darker Shade of Magic. I've got to read those Darker Shade of Magic books. Mm. I love an alternate London. Like I have mm-hmm. realized that this is a sub You get four of them. Yeah. I love like <laughs> And the none city. of them are, are London. I guess I should say that too. Like That's the city another, and you know, the city no, and yeah. well, Smoke by Dan Violetta. Which I just read. Last year. Oh, did you? Yeah, I just did. I really liked it. Yeah, that was fun. Mm-hmm. And um, Angel Maker has an alternate London like, underground one. situation. Yeah. Send me your alternate London books, folks. Yeah, um, it's, okay. it's funny. We get more alternate Londons than alternate other cities. I wonder why that is. Oh, is that a, maybe, is there like a history of this that we don't know about? Yeah, I don't like, know. I mean... There are some alternate New Yorks. I'm thinking of like Zone One or I Am mm-hmm. Legend, but those are like right. future dystopias. That's not what we're really talking about here. 
Right. right. Yeah. It's like an hmm. alternate London with magic. I think there's like this grand fantasy tradition out of Britain yeah. and the UK. And like a and steampunk so, Victorian. Right. Yeah. Like London there, just lends itself really yeah. nicely to that. Um, speaking of you alternate. you go there, it's almost like you're in alternate. Like you, there's parts of London you go to, and I haven't been in a while, where you feel like you're in like 1781. So it's yeah. kind of easy to imagine being out of space and time. Anyway, anyway digression. Yeah, I like that digression. But yeah, let's, let's speaking of alternate New Yorks, though, one of my mm-hmm. first picks is Shadow Shaper by Daniel Jose Older. This is set in Brooklyn, mainly. Um, it's a sort of urban fantasy, sort of noir, uh, but all the way about a teenage girl who discovers that she comes from a long line of shadow shapers. And those are people who are able to channel spirits through works of art, um, like through a photograph or through a piece of music or through graffiti, which one of her friends does. And the whole deal is her discovering that like, actually she's sort of the queen of the shadow shapers. She has all these powers and it's really amazing, but through it all runs this, like this is not your New York novel. Novel that's a bunch mm-hmm. of white people living in brownstones. Um, she lives in Bed-Stuy. Um, her friends are very diverse. There is a heterosexual romance, but there's no love triangle. And there are also queer romances, like queer couples in this story. It feels very true to like what a teenager really growing up in Brooklyn would experience today, aside from the whole magic thing. Um, but there's a bunch of music in the book and I think it's hard to do music very well in books, but Daniel Jose Older does that. Like you can feel the bass and the salsa coming out of these different clubs. You can, you know, you're right there with the people, like with the characters when they're dancing and getting sweaty and like they're about to make out because they're teenagers and it's great. Um, Shadow Shaper was just a ton of fun. It's been picked up by, I think it's Anika Noni Rose, um, optioned it for film. There are going to be more books in the series. He did a novella about the characters last year too. It's really, really just a ton of fun. I would read one of these like every, you know, three months if you could write that fast. <laughs> like um, so, romance series style, right? Yes. Like something like that. Yeah. yeah. But that's Shadow Shaper by Daniel Jose Older. Um, and then I think The Magicians by Lev Grossman. If she's read all of the mm-hmm. sort of canonical fantasy series, especially for young adults, she's going to get a lot of the jokes in The Magicians, um, which is about a kid who's getting ready to go off for college. And then instead of going to his college interview, he gets sucked into um, an alternate world at a campus that's kind of like Dr. Xavier's campus in the X-Men, where he's Mm. given a test that proves that he is a wizard. And now he's going to go to um, a school for magicians, basically. Um, But it's college. So it's angstier than young adult. There's sex and drugs like people have pitched it as harry potter with sex and drugs but not quite um the books that doesn't are feel like, right to me i disagree yeah, with that anyway we can, that's yeah, another yeah i don't think it's right either um it's like that's the pitch you put on this book because you want a catchy blurb yeah. but it, it doesn't feel no right. i agree that's not, that's not what the world of the magicians no. is like um but there is a tight-knit group of friends there are also queer characters and there's like a little bit of a love triangle but it's mainly just that like one of the characters is super emo and obsessed with this girl um but really fun it it also meets o'neill's razor the trilogy is complete and there's a tv Um, show that's not super popular i i I was thinking about this for my pick but i wondered if since it's a tv show she may have already read it it's the only that's the only thing i think it's a great pick that's yeah and it does the show i'm current on the show and it does diverge from the books enough also in the show it's set like they're in graduate school so they're Mm. another four years older they're like in their mid-20s in the show and it's even darker and angstier but i think um for 
Like, I got a lot of the winking references in The Magicians, but I know that there had to be some that I missed because I'm just not that well-versed in canonical sci-fi and fantasy. But it sounds like your niece here would get a lot of those jokes. And it might just be, I always find it pleasurable to read something where, like, you're in on all the jokes. Mm-hmm. I like that, too. <laughs> um, Doesn't so happen very often, but I, I like yeah, those. Yeah. Yeah. So that's The Magicians by Lev Grossman, and there's three. Next one's series. all you. This is all oh, you. yeah. The next one is from Kate, and she wants to hear about my favorite mindfulness and yoga reads. Um, I have a bunch, but th- these are my current favorites. Everybody Yoga by Jessamine Stanley is a great introduction to basic yoga poses and history of yoga, um, but also is super inclusive. Jessamine self-identifies as a fat black femme, and she, you know, is her social media presence is just bonkers. She's all over the place, but she is unapologetic about the fact that her body is not the stereotypical yoga body. um, And that really the message is that if you have a body, you have a yoga body. Yoga is intended to be modified um, or modifiable for anyone to be able to access the benefits of a practice. Um, And it's just a, it shouldn't be a radical message, but in some ways it is one. She interweaves the book with personal essays about just her own experience, her struggles with eating, her struggle with coming to yoga and, you know, really standing in her own there as a black woman, yoga is, you know, a very white, not sport, but a very white like thing that people do um, and is not supposed to be that way. So she's fighting for inclusivity there as well. And the book includes um, illustrated with photographs, um, introductions to a bunch of the basic poses, but also to a bunch of sequences. So if you're new to practicing Mm. yoga or you're new to practicing at home, like you've been to some classes at the gym, you know how to do downward dog, but you wouldn't know how to string together things on your own at home. You can follow along in the book and put put yourself together a yoga practice. Um, I also really like Wisdom of Yoga by Stephen Cope. He is a psychotherapist and a yoga teacher and meditation teacher. And Wisdom of Yoga uses sort of composite stories, composite characters that are put together from people that he's known through like 25 years of teaching yoga and meditation to illustrate the concepts of the Yoga Sutra and also to really ground what a yoga and meditation practice looks like, you know, in real life for real people. He sort of, he takes the theory and illustrates it through real people's stories and experiences, including his own. Uh, Silence by Thich Nhat Hanh, who is you know arguably the most famous um, Zen master. Silence. He's written a ton of books. I really, really liked Silence about what it is to sit in silence and to practice meditation. These his books are super accessible, um, which is also kind of difficult sometimes. Meditation and mindfulness books have all this like very sort of highfalutin language, and it's hard to relate to the person who's writing them. Um, Thich Nhat Hanh does a great job of being. Like maybe you have never meditated for a day in your life. Maybe the idea of sitting in silence for 10 minutes at a time is horrifying to you. Here's how to start. And the book has a bunch of suggested meditations that I found really useful as well. Um, And then Start Where You Are by Pema Chodron is another one of those. It's a little heavier. If you are familiar maybe with meditation, if you're familiar with some of the Buddhist basics, she comes from a very strong Buddhist perspective. So you will get things you can take into your meditation practice, but there's a heavy dose of Buddhism. So take that or leave that as you will. Um, And also uh, Light on Yoga by BKS Iyengar, which if you are, you know, really studying yoga um, is a book that you're going to come across that introduces basically all of the contemporary poses that we do and modifications for them and what they're sort of intended to do within the body and alignment. So those are my current faves, but I'm sort of perpetually, this is, this is like my version of the Busman's MBA. 
I'm like perpetually reading something else about yoga or mindfulness. So the list changes and expands every day, but that's it for now. I got a question for you. Yeah. Um, I'm not interested in doing yoga, but I would read a history of yoga. Do you know oh. of one that's like not not about doing it, but it's just about I don't mm, know a good is like, there, you know I need the Siddhartha Mukherjee, ta- you know the Bryson <laughs> Mukherjee, Walter Isaacson, oh. or Mary Roach. You know Mary Roach gets into yoga. I can Mary read that Roach book too. Mary Roach gets into yoga is a that is a book that I would read. And it's but you see, what I'm, you see where I'm going with this, like Stephen Johnson, like you know do, one of those like, kinds of things. Think about it. Or find, go find one. I need this is my recommendation request. There's got to be a good one. There's got to be one out there, doesn't there? A big old history of yoga. That's... hmm. Yeah, well, let's not Google about it right now. But uh, I'm putting it out there. If anyone knows of one. I'll think about it. Yeah, if anyone knows of one, please do let me know. Yeah, I would also like to read an enormous history of yoga. Because, like, uh, you know, my experience of yoga is only as a cultural spectator, right? Mm -hmm. And it feels like... To me, it's been around sort of most of my adult life, like as something people knew about. But I'd like to know more about its history in the West, for yeah. sure, but also its history not in the West. Like, Yeah, there's a good timeline in mm-hmm. front of everybody yoga that shows like yeah, from 5,000 sure. years ago, here's sure how it was wiki invented. Yoga. Like that's, yeah, yeah, I'm sure I could, you know, do right. that. Here's uh-huh. how it made its way mm-hmm. to the West, which interestingly, like here's your fun nugget is that one Ooh. of the ways that yoga made its way to the West is movie stars in the twenties oh. getting hooked up somehow with some of the twenties or forties. Some of the, I think it must've been the forties. It's like Errol some Flynn, the, like got into yoga for some Basically reason. like some yeah, of the classic, um, two, I think it was two of the female movie stars of the 40s, like got hooked up with Iyengar or some of his mm. contemporaries um, who like at that point, yoga was really just contained to India and mm. started learning yoga. And they went back to Hollywood and started talking about how amazing it was. And really yoga, in the 40s, huh? Yeah. And yoga like makes its way to America by way of movie stars, which tells I, you a lot about sort of how yoga ended up being what it is in yeah, the U.S., yeah. like how it sort I of got perverted. A, you know, we need a version of how we got to now that's just sort of like, you know, um, foreign practices or celebrations or, you know, whatever that had a, that became a cultural thing in America, like Tiki bars, right? <laughs> Yoga, like how you know they they have these interesting emig- these these immigration patterns of ideas and practices and ways mm-hmm. of being, which I think are super fascinating. But so that's why my meta interest is in that, I guess. But I would read definitely read a a nice um, readable yes, history someone, of yoga. Please do send us one of those. It doesn't. I just googled for the reading list for my um, yoga mm-hmm. teacher training that I'm doing this fall, and it doesn't look like there's any big history book on there. But the oh. history like is interwoven into the yeah. course. Like I think this is going to be sort of received wisdom passed down verbally, mm-hmm. um, but I'm gonna I would like a giant book about the history of definitely yoga yeah I'd like too. to read that too go right if you're looking for a nonfiction topic yeah. you know go do the the salt but for yoga <laughs> Ben <laughs> the Mary Roach yoga story. Yeah, ben, ben. <laughs> Well, like as that. our coworker Clint says, looking at your feet. He's like, yeah. why, why didn't you answer my phone call? Were you off looking at your feet? Yeah, I, competitive stretching. It's my, uh, that's what <laughs> right. I call it. uh, uh, So this next one starts kind of in your Yeah, house. you know what? Now I talk you – know, so we have sort of our pantheon of recommendations that we try not to mention over and over again. Mm-hmm. But I think this case, I'm now looking at my own recommendations. I realize I went to my second or third cut. But here's the record. I'll tell you why I'm actually going to bump back up to, to the more standard cuts. 
Um, I'm looking for a condition for my brother who's graduating from college this spring. He isn't much of a reader. Time constraints as an engineering student, lack of motivation, in general prefers playing sports and talking to people. But the interest to read books is there, especially as he will be starting a travel-heavy job. He likes nonfiction, and he likes learning about business, think the How I Built This podcast, science, behavioral psychology, and politics. Ideally, I want to give him something that touches on social itches too, both at home and around the world, because he isn't naturally drawn to those topics. Fiction recommendations are also welcome if they aren't too literary. So you probably can guess, Rebecca, the the couple. Like, <laughs> I think we got to break out Ready Player One by Ernie Klein, right? Yep. I mean, an engineering student who is maybe a reluctant leader but would like to, I think we'll get hooked on Ready Player One. And if you don't know the synopsis of Ready Player One, it's a near-future dystopia in which the internet has sort of gone crazy and become sort of a VR playground where most of the people who can afford it spend most of their time in this VR playground. And the the inventor, and I've forgotten the names of the characters, and I haven't looked them up because I'm lazy and I don't care, um, basically is sort of a kind of a Steve Jobs slash Doc Brown from uh, Back to the Future amalgam. And he's the one who owns the company that owns basically this most powerful – it's like Facebook on steroids, which is – Facebook is Facebook on steroids now. But even more so, like becomes that kind of ubiquitous and powerful. He dies, and rather than leave his fortune to the shareholders or family members, he sets up this game, right, that if you solve the game, you get the company. And the game is littered with – References to 1980s movies, science fiction, video games. So that thing we were talking about with the magicians of being in on the joke, if you're a nerdy engineering student who likes video games or pop culture, it's a hook. that sets a hook deep and it won't let you go until you're done with the book. The other couple I'll go to, that's on fiction. And then on the nonfiction tip, the gateway drugs for nonfiction about science and business for me really are... A Brief History of, of Nearly Everything by Bill Bryson it talks about how geology became a field, how anthropology became a field, all of these other kinds of things that we know. Um, that's a really good introduction to getting into reading nonfiction about ideas and culture together. And then the other one I would go is The Emperor of All Maladies by Siddhartha Mukherjee. Um, it's about cancer, but it's also about politics. It's about culture. It's about medicine. Um, it's about health. It's about ideas, too. Really good. It touches on social issues in its own way, especially about surgery and what we did to women when they had breast cancer and all these sorts of interesting things that I think is a nice synthesis of a cultural history and a medical history and a history of ideas. So those are three Rushmore picks for me. Brief History of Nearly Everything by Bill Bryson, Emperor of All Maladies by Siddhartha Mukherjee. It's a cultural history of cancer and Ready Player One by Ernie Klein. Those are good. I mean, this is the this is the one you break it out for, right? Someone this who is doesn't know this stuff. This is this the, is one, the one where you break out the Rushmore. Yeah, I went for play some... the hits. Play the hits, man. Play the hits. Yeah, yeah. I went for some slightly deeper cuts, uh, just for variety. The first yeah. um, that I pulled this from intersection of behavioral psychology and science. And someone presence. a new job, I think. This is a great pick. For yeah, this too. is a great yeah. one, actually. That's a good point. Um, presence by Amy Cuddy. She is a I think Harvard based psychologist and behavioral like. Obviously, she's a psychologist, so she's a behavioral scientist, um, but she looks at confidence and the interplay between um, sort of body language and body po- – actually, no, not body language, body positioning and how our the, our physical position affects our psychological 
well-being and our our emotions. And she has all of this research. Like it sounds maybe kind of cuckoo pants until you really dig into mm. it. But she has all of this research about how like standing in what she calls like Wonder Woman position, standing with your feet um, slightly more than shoulder width apart and your hands placed on your hips, like standing in that position for several minutes before you do something like go into a job interview or give a presentation actually changes mm. your feeling of confidence and not just your feeling, it changes how you're perceived by other people. Um, they will perceive someone like in uh, double blind studies participants who have to stand with their hands on their hips like that for five minutes before they go give a speech are perceived by their audiences as more confident and capable than people who just, you know, like sat in a chair or who just stood with their hands at their sides or did whatever they wanted before uh, before going to give their performance. And the, the book is just packed with things like this, that if you take them into your own life, give you sort of a series of practices for if you are going into a situation where you need to feel confident and be perceived as confident, or you need to feel grounded and be perceived as grounded, what should you do with your body mm. for five minutes before mm. you do that? And then sort of to connect to one of the questions higher up in the show, it digs into part of why yoga works um, in the positioning of balance and the positioning of like standing in a strong posture and how even doing that for just, you know, 30 seconds can change the way that we feel. And that translates out to the way that we're perceived by Put others. a pencil in your mouth. And yeah, make yourself yeah, smile. This is my favorite yep. thing that, like, uh, in studies where people are asked to clench pencils between their teeth, which use the, that uses the same muscles that smiling uses, you will start to feel happier. People who are asked to do that, like, just hold this pencil between your teeth, um, report at the end of it that they feel happier than people who don't have to hold the pencil between mm -hmm. their teeth for five minutes, um, and they're not given any stimulus to feel happy or anything. Like, that's the nope. thing, and vice versa. If they ask you to do something that triggers the same muscles involved in frowning, um, you will feel sadder. There are these connections between our bodies and our brains that once we know about them, you can mm. manipulate them. And that's what presence um, is really all about. It's really interesting stuff. Um, and then for the fiction edge, I really, really loved Speak, which is a novel by Louisa Hall that came out a few years ago. Um, it is set in a slight future after which artificial intelligence has been like perfected and then has gone a little bit sideways. Mm -hmm. um, we know that someone has invented robots with, that are very realistic. The AI is very realistic. The kids in this world grow up with these robots as like their best friends and the robots will chat with you and keep you company, but like something has gone sideways. And so the robots have all been like taken away and we spend time with a character who is like missing their robot. We get to be in prison with the person who invented these robots and sent them out into the world. There are letters from a fictionalized version of Alan Turing and it moves like back and forth in time in a really crazy and interesting way. But for someone who's into science and technology and politics and thinking about what the future might mm. look like, I think it's really wonderful. It's an interesting book. Again, that's Speak by Louisa Hall. We're going to do um, – uh, this was Chloe, and she had a, a follow-up PS rec for her dad uh, who just finished Lonesome Dove and is having the hardest of times moving on. You know, Lonesome Dove Hangover is a real um, identifiable book uh, phenomenon. If you mm -hmm. haven't read Lonesome Dove, I highly recommend it. It's a big, long, heart-wrenching saga of the West. But, like, I know a lot of people who love Lonesome Dove and a lot of people who have read Lonesome Dove, and it just it, – it leaves, it leaves a mark. It lingers, and it's tough to get over, which – anyway, so there's that. But he loves a well-told historical saga. Pillars of the Earth is another favorite. So if you have any ideas on how to recover from a good book hangover, he will be interested. I, so I'm going hair of the dog, um, mm -hmm. historical saga with historical saga. 
um, Barkskins by Annie Prue is um, set in the Northwest, and it's it's an epic novel about the lumbering industry in the Pacific Northwest. Really good. I liked it. I think I liked my recommendation, my my other recommendation, a little bit better, which is the Luminaries by Eleanor Catton, which came out a few years ago, and it's also a doorstop. It's like eight hundred, nine hundred pages long, and it's about the gold rush in New Zealand. The thing I like a little bit better about the Luminaries is that the inciting, like it, it's more of a what's gonna, it's more plotty at the beginning. Like the, I'm not gonna spoil it, but. Something happens, there's a murder, someone's disappeared, there's a fortune, there's gold, like, it kind of hooks you. Where Prue's, Prue's more of a slow burn historical saga. So, if your dad likes Lonesome Dove and historical sagas, those are my two picks right there. Barkskins by Annie Prue and The Luminaries by Eleanor Catton. Both of them are doorstops, so that'll give them lots of summer reading to do. Right. Tell me about another a, sponsor. Is this me? This cooking. is me. This is me. This uh, is we got a sponsor. This is audiobooks.com. You like audiobooks, don't you? I do. You, we all yeah. like audiobooks. Mm-hmm. Audiobooks.com has a library of 100,000 premium audiobooks and more than 7,000 free titles. You can download books to your phone for offline listening or stream live. You can get variable narration speed. This is something I don't do, but we were talking in the Insider Slack. People love variable narration speed, so Mm -hmm. I'm a 1X guy. Are you a 1X lady? Yep, I'm 1X. Anything faster makes me feel crazy. uh, There's a a much stronger contingent for the 1.25 team than I would have thought, and then there's the the, the, the idiosyncratics that do 1.5 or more, which to me sounds artificial and like I'm on speed or something. I don't like that. You can do so variable narration speeds, custom annotations, and a recommendations tool to generate customized suggestions for your next listing. You can browse their curated book lists. You can see the detailed series information so you can see what's next. Sometimes that's not easy to find. There's user friendly free apps for iOS, Android, your smartwatch, and um, Apple TV OS. It says TV OS, but no one knows what that is. So it's Apple TV OS. Integrates with CarPlay, Android Auto, Sonos, and you know some of your GM cars, Latin uh Jaguar, Land Rover, so you can play right in because a lot of us are listening to audiobooks in our cars. makes it really easy. You don't have to hook it up to a plug and do all that stuff there. Help is at your fingertips with the customer service live chat. Do we have a problem with the file or something else going on? Maybe trying to get your car play to work. You can do it right there. And cancellation is straightforward if you need to, but the purchased books are yours to keep forever. Forever. So you go to audiobooks.com, sign up. You can get um, a promo code which is your first audiobook is free. Use promo code BOOKRIOT, one word. Thanks to them for sponsoring the show, audiobooks.com. Get you some. Be a good gift. A, a membership. Would. That would be Audiobooks good. membership. Three, six, nine, 12 months, something there. Pick one. Pick your price. All right. All right. Next question comes from Heidi. She recently read Cork Dork by Bianca Bosker and realized it fulfills one of her very specific genre kryptonites, memoirs that follow a person who knows very little about an activity, preferably something slightly ridiculous, training to perform or compete in that activity at an elite level. Other examples that she has loved are Word Freak by Stefan Fastis and Moonwalking with Einstein by Joshua Ford. Do we know of any other books that fit the genre? Bonus if they also have audio. Mm. Um, This is good. I also love a book about a person mastering a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, The process of mastery is a thing that I really love. Um, So my pick is by, is Hammerhead by Nina McLaughlin. And this fits the process of mastery in a thing they know very little about, but is not ridiculous. I don't Mm -hmm. think Um, Nina McLaughlin was a book reviewer and a writer in Boston. And she decided she needed to get out of her head and live more in her own body and make some tangible things. Um, So on kind of a win, 
him, she answered a Craigslist ad for a carpenter who was seeking an assistant. The carpenter was a woman. Um, Nina McLaughlin found that to be really interesting. And out of like a 300 or something, a crazy number of applicants, Nina McLaughlin gets an interview and sells <laughs> herself as you know the person who should learn to be this carpenter's assistant. And the book is about that process, about learning to do something that is in an area like she did not think of herself as handy. She didn't really know how to swing a hammer or how to use a saw or like, you know, much less how do you measure things to like build someone a bathroom. Um, but she learns all of that. She also learns from this woman carpenter about being a woman in a male dominated industry. And it, it's wonderful. It's like funny and tender so good. and fascinating. And uh, the pitch that I always use for it that I stole from our coworker, Jen, when she first pitched it to me is that like, there's an entire chapter about laying tile and you're like, tell me more, please write a mm-hmm. hundred more pages about laying tile. This is fascinating and wonderful. Um, I really, really loved it. It's one of the best books about work. That's not about the concept of work but about actually learning to work and think about work in a new way um, that I've ever read as well. That's Hammerhead by Nina McLaughlin. You know, I'm not sure that's on audio. I think I looked for Michelle. Mm, it it may be not great. be on audio. I wish, I wish. Maybe I, I might be misremembering that. Just word of warning, word okay. of possible warning for, uh, <laughs> for Heidi here. My two picks, one, um, The Noble Hustle by Colson Whitehead is his book about, it's not where he like tries to get really good. He sort of happens into being into a uh, the world champion is that the name of the world championship of the poker? world series of poker world series of poker and it's his book about being in the world series of poker so it does the thing of taking you into a very specific world but you go in definitely with Colson Whitehead's eyes like it's it's very much through the prism of his understanding and how he thinks about the world which is droll and nihilistic and funny and slightly you know I'd say he has. A, a fairly jaundiced eye about the whole experience. <laughs> yeah, there's in like the a Noble lot of Hustle. ennui in this book. Yeah, and it's a little more existential, I think, than some of the. I read Cork Dork and really liked it too, and she's interested in wine and what goes on, but it's not really philosophical in a way. Though I guess it does talk about like appreciating your senses. Where Whitehead really uses the no, this this particular experience as a way of thinking about issues. Um, on the other end of the spectrum is the AJ. I just I'm just calling it the AJ Jacobs corpus, which mm-hmm. is AJ Jacobs is like Gallagher, but his watermelons are different sort of life experiments, right? <laughs> so like instead of smashing watermelons, he's trying to live one year according to every rule in the Bible. So that's he one is of my the th- master of the like These experimental yeah, yeah. experiential memoir. Yeah, yeah, right. I think maybe I don't know if he invented it, but certainly he's become the master. Um, probably he's even have a book in him about doing these. Like, there's a meta book in him about this. Mm-hmm. And that one's, I think, called The Year of Bi- Living Biblically. I didn't look up the titles. I should have. There's one where he, like, re- it's it's like, he lives in a retirement community um, for a while. And then there's... Oh, a, the, the first uh, one is about trying to read every word yes, in the Oxford the English Dictionary. The everything, I think, is what it's called. The Oxford mm-hmm. and, or the Encyclopedia, oh, no, the Encyclopedia Britannica. Britannica. Yeah, yeah, and he reads the whole Encyclopedia Britannica. So I think you've got four or five. So look up A.J. Jacobs. Pick one. I don't know that I like one any better than the others. I The... I think I like that maybe the the encyclopedia one is mm-hmm. maybe the one to start. If and you like that, you can decide to go on yeah, from there. Yeah, I think um, that's the first one, and so it has I think the most so too. the most uh, freshness yeah, to it. Yeah, you know yeah. what I really want is for his long-suffering wife to write a memoir. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. He's always, he always mentions that like when he's doing the encyclopedia project, she gets so tired of his, like, hey, did you know mm-hmm. um, facts about things. And when he's doing the year of living biblically, she has to adjust to things that like he can't touch her when she's menstruating and a bunch yeah, of right. you know, other uh, very 
very obscure rules. There's always something that like she must be a very good sport, but I would love to hear her take on this. Yeah, or those royalty checks are, you know, yeah. got to get them checks. Right. right. Um, let's see. This is for you. So I will read the oh. question. It's from Melissa. Um, she has a little five-month-old baby girl who was born in November and is the light of their lives. Her husband is such an amazing dad, a natural right off the bat, and she wants to do something special for his first Father's Day. So she's looking for something that explores or details the special bond between a dad and a daughter. Could be fiction, nonfiction, whatever. What do you got? Um, well... I, I I read this. I liked it. It's not my flavor to read something that's. This is gonna sound weird, like affirmative about parenting. <laughs> I know that sounds weird. <laughs> like I'm not looking for feel good parenting stuff. I I'm more in the uh, Department of Speculation by Jenny Offal real talk, mm-hmm. um, or uh, Love Where by Glenn Doyle Melton real talk. That's a little re- more real than my life, but like. So I'm not looking for the sweetness and light part of parenting, but I can see how you might want it. And that so my recommendation for this is Sleepless Nights and Kisses for Breakfast. Again, you can tell by the title. Does that sound like a Jeff book? Not really. <laughs> uh, Reflections on Fatherhood by Matteo Basola. I think that's the same. It's a translated from the Italian. So it's father's observations of the everyday things about being a parent. Um, and it is affirmative. It's more of an affirmation of like, isn't life grand? Isn't this wonderful? which I need a little bit of shadow with my sunlight mm-hmm. in this kind of situation. But if you don't, if this is a good recommendation for that. I also think in giving books to parents that you for people you don't know very well, I think it's a safer bet than the Department of Speculation. <laughs> like, I think it's a, it's but safer, tell me it's about a safer, your regrets. It's a safer gift, I guess is yeah. what I'm trying to say. It's a safer recommendation. Because the other thing about parenting is it comes and goes. You have better days. The other, you don't know how other people are feeling necessarily. So, giving someone a book that's all of like how great parenting is is shouldn't we treasure every moment? And aren't you little elves, magical, wonderful beings of uh, virtue in themselves? <laughs> Depends on the day is the answer to me. That I think it's a tough gift. But if that's what you're looking for, sleepless nights and kisses for breakfast by Matteo. It's a beautiful little. I mean, it is beautiful little book. Like I. I I just it would not – I'd be careful. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm coming down too hard on it. I'm, like, getting existential about it. But, like, I, you know, I, I know – I have young kids, so I know, like, it is a tricky spot. Um, I, if someone gave this to me for Father's Day and it was the wrong day, it could really piss me off. <laughs> but if they gave it to me on the right day and it's someone I knew, like my friend Ken, who also is young, is like, okay, this is, you know, this is this is the good parts, but I think you'll like it. Just knowing that a little bit would soften the – Wait, I'm supposed to like tre- cherish all this crap. Maybe that's just going give on? it with the disclaimer. Yeah, disclaim disclaim away that maybe inure yourself from some of the possible blow to blowback. Um, so anyway, yeah. So listen, <laughs> this funny. is from the, for two years. He's been writing posts on Facebook, capturing the beauty of ordinary moments with his family. Just easy, just just easy. Need a little salt with the sugar. That's all I'm saying. Just be careful. <laughs> You're laughing at this me. This is like You're somebody – no, no, no. I'm, this is like part of our wheelhouse together is we don't just do sweetness and light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like someone asking me for books about marriage and I'm like, well, <laughs> hold my beer. You know? Right. Th- definitely hold my beer. That was a hold my beer recommendation. <laughs> yeah. um, before- I-, I will say I haven't found a book about parenting that I like. Like I found like – a, b- a book about, you know, you're, you're pregnant or your partner's pregnant and here's what's going to happen. Like the instrumental stuff, I, I've, you know, 
you know, there's a reason that what you're expecting when you're expecting is, you know, a classic, because I found it very helpful, except don't read the last chapter. They tell you not to read the last chapter. Don't do it. I did it. Don't be a hero. Just don't read the last chapter. <laughs> but I haven't found sort of a memoir-ish kind of whatever thing about being a parent that speaks to me yet. I'm looking. I take it's, a recommendation I mean, for that, It's too. so interesting, because that is a near-universal experience, but it also seems to me to be so singular. What? Parenting. Oh, yeah. You know, I see little glimpses, like the Emersonian. You see something that someone else wrote, and it, and it reflects your experience. Like, I, I get glimpses of that. There's a glimpse of that in Department of Speculation. There's a glimpse mm-hmm. of that in Love. I mean, those are things I read relatively recently, so it comes to mind, you know, about sort of the, the, the exhausting boredom of being a parent. Like, that's a thing. But I haven't read, like, I don't know. Anyway, so be just be careful. It sounds like I'm sure everything's going to be great. Everything's <laughs> going to be fine. J- just be careful with the... Isn't being a parent wonderful stuff? It is, but it's just, it's not that simple. It's not that simple. Um, It's for your husband. So see, it's your husband here. So Melissa, you're going to be able to know what's, what's, what's right. You know, if, if he's into the, if he, if he can take full sunlight, great. That would be a great book for this. Would be a great book for that. All right. Moving on our next sponsor, um, Grand Central Publishing is doing an instant book club sweepstakes. So here's how it works. There will be a link in the show notes. You click that. You go to enter for a chance to win 10 copies of one of the following titles for your book club. So you get 10 copies of one of these titles. Everybody reads it. You have an instant book club. Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, The Devil and Webster by Jean Hanth Korlitz, The Excellent Lombards by Jane Hamilton, Before the Fall by Noah Hawley, Small Hours by Jennifer Kitsis, Mr. Rochester by Sarah Shoemaker, or The Secret Diary of Hendrik Groen by Hendrik Groen. Seven lucky winners, one per title, will receive 10 copies of the pre-selected title to share with your book club, and you'll also get to download a free dis- set of discussion questions for happy reading. Entries are accepted through May 30th. There's official rules that will apply that you can see um, on the giveaway page as well on the sweepstakes. So that's the Grand Central Publishing Instant Book Club Sweepstakes. We'll have a link in the show notes. Go check it out. Win 10 copies of Hmm. a book for your book club. These are pre-selected. Yeah, that is a good giveaway. Pre-selected for you by Grand Central. Presumably they know that these are books that are resonating with book clubs. There's a good variety of subject matter there. So check those out. Research the titles. Again, it's the Grand Central Publishing Instant Book Club Sweepstakes. Seven lucky winners. You could be one. We'll get 10 copies of one of those titles. So thanks to them for sponsoring. And we'll have the link. Link in the show notes. Yeah. In the show notes. Easiest way to do that. Okay, let's burn through. We're coming to the end here. I'm looking for a book recommendation for my mother. She likes keeping up to date on newer releases and new authors and loves contemporary character-driven novels that center around families, groups of friends, or other relationships. She likes moving stories, but not deeply tragic ones where death and illness are central to the plot. She loved The Nest and Commonwealth for reference. Are there any books that come to mind? Um, so I put character-driven, contemporary, families, relation, relationship. Our Souls at Night by Kent Haruf, uh, which mm-hmm. I read recently, and you had read a while ago, and I, I, I must oh, have recommended to me. I love Kent Haruf, and I just – he died, and I'd been saving it, and I know there's not – there's another one I haven't read, so I'm really – one of the great beginnings of any book I've ever read. Basically, the setup is these two. Um, are they both widowed? They're both widowed. Yes. Yeah. yeah they're, they're both. both, both, they're both, both their partners they're have died. Older people in a small town in Colorado where Haruf sends all of his books. It's a fictional small town in Colorado. And basically, one night, and I forget, I've forgotten the character name, the woman knocks on the guy's door. And they've been acquaintances, but not really friends. And she basically says, Do you want to 
sleep together at night. And it's not even about sexness. It's just, it's like snuggles, like old people mm-hmm. snuggles. Yeah. And immediately you're like... Lay next to me and hold my hand. Yeah, yeah. And immediately, if you're not crying and like tearing up, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to know you, you know, get out of it's here. It's such a gorgeous book. And it, it starts, it's like, it's like a, it's like a, almost like a MFA workshop prompt of like, yeah. what happens if they did mm-hmm. this? But it's, it happens right off the bat and it's a short book. You're going to want to read it all in one sitting. It's really beautiful about love and companionship and at the end of your life, really great stuff. Um, and, you know, so death is in there, but it's but it's, it's not about people dying. Really. It's warm. It's, it's yeah, really warm. Right, right, right. Um, and the coldness of the title, Our Souls at Night, is sort of warmed from below by this relationship these characters start to have to, together. Another one that I read recently that's about a group of friends is the one that ticked this off for me. Also, she likes keeping up with new releases and hot books. Another Brooklyn uh, by um, – uh, uh, Jacqueline blank, Woodson. Ja- Jacqueline Woodson. I was blanking on her last name. Jacqueline Woodson. It's about a group of girls growing up in Brooklyn in the 1970s together and their friendship and what happens to them, the stresses on them as young black girls in a white flight. Just you, white flight is happening as they're growing up. And then Brooklyn, this neighborhood in Brooklyn, becoming a center of black life in New York and America. And all the stressors that go into it, you know, what it takes to make it. Their families, broken families, some of them, some of them upwardly mobile. What happens to the, fa- what happens to the friendships become of that? Really interesting. It's a short book, really beautiful written. One of those books that if you're interested in what's going on in contemporary literary fiction, you know, you should have on your, your shelf. So it sounds like your uh, your mom cares about that. Oh, man, I could do this question all the I was long say, day. This is, a, this is a Rebecca, this is a Rebecca <laughs> fastball. Yeah, I have to briefly mention, since you mentioned Our Souls at Night, I do think I Married You for Happiness by Mm. Lily Tuck rings these bells. The activating event of the book is that this longtime married couple, the husband has died and the wife, the whole book takes place while the wife is basically sitting with him overnight after his death. She's waiting for the morning to come before she'll call the ambulance and like tell their families. And she's reflecting on their life together. And it's really warm and beautiful in parts and also very sad in parts thinking about like the secrets that they kept from each other, the things that she wishes she had said, or the things that she wishes she had never said, but sort of a a long look at a marriage and family life, a a big picture, like the Mm -hmm. 5,000 foot, 50,000 foot view of a life. I just, I really loved it. It sits in the Our Souls at Night category for Mm -hmm. me. Um, But uh, uh, to go back to like multi-generational family stuff, if she's she's read The Nest and she's read Commonwealth and she's like keeping up with current things, um, she might have already read Maine by J. Courtney Sullivan. I mentioned Courtney earlier in the show. So Maine is just about three generations of women coming together at the family's beach house in Maine at various crisis points in their lives, but also just very um, funny and thoughtful easy to tear through. Um, But a deeper cut that came out last year that didn't get nearly as much attention as I thought it should have is The Inseparables Mm -hmm. by Stuart Nadler, which is also about three generations of women uh, who are also each dealing with a crisis point. Like the teenage daughter um, is getting picked up from boarding school because a nude picture that she took of herself and sent to a boyfriend has been circulated around and she has been blamed for this. And so her life is kind of in shambles. Her mother uh, is sort out, uh, dealing with a failed marriage and a new boyfriend. And then her mother is a recent widow 
living alone, sort of making sense of the big story of her life. And the book moves between those three characters' perspectives. I thought it was a lot of fun and really smart and funny as well. Um, And also The Turner House by Angela Flournoy, which brings together a bunch of adult children at the family's kind of ancestral home after the death of their father, trying to figure out what they're going to do with the house. But moreover, like, what are they going to do to keep their family together? Um, The death is the activating event in that book, but it's not a sad book at all. It's the family coming back to together um to sort of look at their life together and i know we both really liked that one so. yeah definitely so that's um, a shared recommendation we've got two more to go and run out of time but i want to get to these both because we both have good recommendations for them. <laughs> <laughs> and selfish selfish altruistically selfishly um this is i didn't get that oh valerie uh, my dad is almost too easy to buy books for because he will read anything. Oh, this is interesting. Mm. But this year, I really want to nail it. He loves Westerns and every book Louis L'Amour ever wrote. He's a devout Catholic, stubborn, conservative, but surprisingly open-minded when it comes to books. A few years ago, I encouraged him to read Cormac McCarthy's Border Trilogy, which was a challenge, but he ended up loving it and, picked up, and, he, and he picked up a little Spanish along the way. Any thoughts? I'm going to give you neo-Western picks, which is a genre I realized I like as well. Mm-hmm. The Sisters Brothers by Patrick DeWitt. It's been out for a while, also being made into a movie, is my understanding, um, coming out pretty soon. Uh, it's a couple of brothers who are anti-heroes, you would say. Like, they're not good guys nor bad guys. Uh, you end up cheering for them. They get involved in something that's a little over their heads. It's a Western. Um, Patrick DeWitt lives in Oregon, and so I've, you know, I've gotten to know that he's a local, kind of a local celebrity around here, which is cool. Um, as opposed to living in New York where there were so many writers, like no one really registered, but Patrick DeWitt, people, when I say I, I'm like books and I moved to porn, it's like, do you know Patrick DeWitt lives here? And I'm like, yes. And they're like, also Cheryl Strayed <laughs> and Ursula K. Le Guin. I'm like, yes, I know. Um, anyway, so that's fun. And then The Kid by Ron Hansen. Um, Ron Hansen also wrote um, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford, which got turned into a movie. Really good book, too. Mm-hmm. And, but The Kid is Billy the Kid. Um, so I recommend both of those Ron Hansen books as well. They're more kind of stylized. They feel like they're written in the time of, which is interesting, where Sister Brothers feel more modern. And then in the middle, I'm going to recommend um, Doc and the OK Corral by Mary, Dor- Dor- Mary Doria Russell, this duology of uh, books that she wrote about the Earp-Doc Holiday relationship. So it's like Tombstone the movie, except literary and better. It's Which really is like great. the best thing you could ever think of. That's right. It's the best thing I can say. I can, and, and I can't say anything better than that. <laughs> um, and they're a duology. So I think a little like dad pack of the Sister Brothers, uh, the Doc, the OK Corral, and the Kid by Ron Hansen. Be a nice little, a, a little uh, you know, Easter basket full of, uh, of dad picks for you. I'm going to go short stories. These yeah. are a little more on the McCarthy edge, but yeah. from Devout Catholic, I also started thinking about mm. Graham Greene for some reason. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so Battleborn by Claire Vey Watkins. These are short stories set in the contemporary American West. They're very spare and also like unsparing in their assessment of their characters and sort of modern life. Um, There's a little McCarthy feeling to some of it, but also her voice is really original. Battleborn was a debut collection of short stories, and she works in this sort of like unapologetically dry um, thing, but kind of unexpectedly funny. And one of the stories is based loosely on her own experiences with connections to the Manson family. Like there's a whole bunch of really interesting stuff that happens in these. So they're not traditional Westerns. I am guessing that they haven't come across your dad's radar. Mm. I would give those a shot. 
Um, for a slightly dystopic Western feel, mm. The Water Museum by Luis Alberto Urea is a short story collection that imagines, um, among other things, a future America after a very large drought, where like the Water Museum is the place that you go to mm. learn slash remember what life was like when water was a thing that was available to us. Um, and it's a little dark, but it has that like dusty Western yeah, feeling to it. Um, I really liked it as well. So these are my recs are drawn more from like the feeling that these books um, that you mentioned your dad liking sort of brought up. Uh, and you know not, what? So they're not quite I never straight. thought about this until you just said it, but there is something about the inherent, there's some DNA of the Western in American dystopian literary fiction. Yeah. Like a lot of it is recreating going, I mean, the effect is you've gone back to a, you know, 1870 in Oklahoma kind of vibe, mm-hmm. right? right? Where it's the same kind of constraints, the same kind of, Instead of being worried about, like, I just read News of the World, so they're worried about the, the Kiowa Indians ambushing them. Instead of worrying about the Indians ambushing you on the road, you're worrying about zombies, right? right. Like, and so it's very, very... Yeah, the like, passage is very westerny. The passage parts. is very westerny. I, I, was, I almost recommended The Dog Stars by Peter Heller mm-hmm. in the last one. That Station Eleven has sort of a western vibe in it. So oh, anyway. Paolo Bacciagalupi had a book last year about a big drought. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. I guess it's not surprising because... The way we think of the American West in popular literature, at least, and that's not fair in a lot of ways, but is like a, pro, a, a pre-topian, right? So dystopian <laughs> right. might be thought of as not just dystopian, but post-topian. Uh, so in, in a way, they kind of have the same literary and plot constraints and concerns and devices. Right. Not a surprise. Anyway, I don't know why I got from a literary essay about that, right? But anyway, it just occurred to me. <laughs> Post-topian is a really good title for like a master's thesis. Yes, definitely. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Uh, it's almost like I've been to grad school. It's, um, yeah, anyway. it's like you're thinking about this. Take so, us home, Shinsky. Last one. All right. Last question is from Giovanna Centino. She um, is looking for a book recommendation for her boyfriend. He's graduating in May and has been pessimistic about career choices. He's majoring in history, but has a deep love for art and journalism. She would like to give him something that will renew his faith, not only in himself, but also validate his passions as career paths. Bonus points for photographic journalism related Mm. stories. I guess this comes with the caveat that neither of us really subscribes to follow your passion as a career choice. With a caveat. With a, with a right. It's a caveat a on a caveat. Yeah, it's a caveat on a caveat. Uh, you want to go first or you want me to go first? Uh, no, you, go, you lead off here because you you've first. got the – you have our canonical picks Well, here. we now have – I think I feel like I have a pretty standard one-two punch now mm-hmm. uh, of my – that came out of the Busman's MBA. Top of the syllabus, right? If you want – if you care about getting good at something and having – making a career out of that thing, you know, making some – getting good at something a central part of your life – the, the one-two punch is Peak by Anders Ericsson and Grit by Angela Duckworth, right? So Grit is about um, – her. she's won a MacArthur Genius Award, and her research has been about stick-to-itiveness, perseverance, trying something hard. How is it? What matters about really diving in and taking on a big project, a big – you know, uh, goal, you know, learning to, you know, trying to climb Mount Everest, or what are some of the examples, really getting really good at football, or getting really good at math, or getting really good at piano or guitar, like, how is it that you get really good at something? You know, what, what goes into it? How does it work? And then the other one that's sort of the meta study by Anders Ericsson is called Peak, and it's the subtitle is something about the science of expertise. And his argument there is basically, and it's backed up by a, a bunch of interesting studies, that 
you can get good at almost anything, but you got to read Grit by Angela Duckworth. I mean, sort of, but that's kind of the <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've got to really you gotta try. You've got to get gritty to you've get good. You've got to really try. And he's sort of, the, the sub point is he's debunking the idea that natural affinity or natural talent and genius or inborn talent and genius is a precondition of getting really good at something. And the the best example that I've used to tell other people about this is by this, about this, I think he was an Austrian or Italian um, child psychologist who really believed that you could, ch- children could grow up to do almost anything. And so he married a woman and part of the marriage was contingent upon, I'm going to run this experiment with our kids about making them into experts, right? And he picked chess because it has you know, noble, you know, one wins and losses and rankings. So he could really, and so he had three girls and says, you know what, even though it's like the early 19th century and there's never been a chess grandmaster, that's a woman. I'm training all my girls to be chess masters. And you know what? Two of them were. Magic. It, and, and it's just about trying hard over time. And it's not sexy. It's not big magic. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm stepping on your next. It's not quote unquote <laughs> magic, right? Well, yeah. it's Penn and Teller magic, which is their description of Penn, Penn Teller say their description of magic is spending so spending an unfathomably long time doing something that no one else would ever do mm-hmm. is magic. And and they're kind of right. Like sleight of hand, you work on it a really long time, you're doing magic. So those are my one two. Now they're not they're not exactly little page turner books, but I think they're like I th- I find them to be revelations together. I re- I really believe that. Like they're re- revelatory kind it's, of uh, books to me. Together. It's the kind of stuff, especially grit, I think. These are the kinds of things that like, once you know them, it feels like it should be common sense or it should have been obvious. Yes, why don't we tell people that, you know, I don't know. Right. But because the story of just follow your passion is so yeah. much sexier, I think. It makes it makes for better book selling. But I completely agree. I loved Grit. Um, and I'm listening to Peak now, mm. and I co-sign Jeff's recommendation mm. for that. Um, so since he hit our one-two punch yeah. of passion-related career path, um, photogra- photographic journalism-related stories, I'm going to recommend to you Known and Strange Things. It's a collection of essays by Teju Cole. He is uh, he's a, a travel writer. He's a novelist, a really terrific novelist, a really fascinating person just in general, but known and strange things is essays that are largely about travel and photojournalism. He um, has been taking photographs for a very long time while traveling. And the books, the book and the pieces in the book are about his photography, um, but also about how he has started to be able to understand place through photographing the place. Mm. Um, It's really lovely. I love thinking about how other people experience travel. And so this rang that bell for me, but it is very much for him about the practice and art of photography and how that relates to his understanding of telling a story and of his own experience of the place at various times. Um, It has his photographs in the book, so you can see some of that as well. Um, Like most essay collections, I don't think any reader is going to love every single essay, but I found it on the whole to be very interesting and thoughtful and just sort of packed with insight about what this artistic work looks like he's granted he is not typically a photojournalist like he does some paid photojournalism work um, but he ties it all together i think that's a great one and then jeff mentioned um, big magic by elizabeth gilbert if you want to hit him in the feelings of like follow your passion let the artistic magic happen like if your boyfriend is not going to want the data driven thing or you want to do some balance i did really appreciate a lot about big magic by elizabeth gilbert that it's she she talks about creativity in a way that is very empowering and then for me she goes like beyond what i'm willing to believe in Mm. um like it it was over my line of believability about Mm. how creativity works like i like 
the idea that we can data our way into being better at creative work. Mm. Um, she does not. <laughs> oh, really? She'd hate Adam Grant. She'd hate the original. Oh, yeah, I think huh. she would hate. I think she would hate Adam Grant. She like uh, has this idea, like. If she and Ann Patchett are friends, this is a good anecdote from the book that will help you assess whether it's on your line or beyond your line. She and Ann Patchett are friends, and she writes about having this idea for a novel that she like toiled over for years and years and could never get the idea right. So she lets the idea for this novel go. And then later on, she's hanging out with Ann Patchett, who's like, hey, I'm working on this novel. What? And she starts telling Elizabeth Gilbert what the novel is about. And it's the novel that became Ann Patchett's State of Wonder, Mm -hmm. but it's an idea that Elizabeth Gilbert had like five years prior and that they hadn't discussed. And so one of the things that she believes about ideas and creativity is that they choose you, but that if the time passes and you don't no do... synchronous discovery, like there's a whole history of, hey, yeah, well, yeah, no, right, come right, right, on. Right, right, they choose see, you? See? Rebecca, right, yeah, so how can is, you... Re- okay, I know, caveat, Jeff, caveat, like, caveat. I understand. Right, I caveat. see what you're like, doing. No, this is, I think this is a good illustrative yeah. example from the book. Like this is over the line of things I'm willing to believe about how creativity works. But this is Elizabeth Gilbert's take is she did not do anything with the idea. So the idea left her and it moved on to Ann Patchett, who took the idea and was able to really do something remarkable with it because State of Wonder was a great book. Um, So there I found myself like I listened to it and I found myself at times like, you know, shouting amen to Elizabeth Gilbert and then at other times being like, come on, Liz, really? Mm. Um, That's a little too, uh, you gotta watch, there's a little secret in there, a little version of the secret in there. You gotta watch out for that. I don't believe in magic. <laughs> I just don't. Um, so I, I am not wired that way. No. So I discounted parts of Big Magic, but I think you can discount chunks of it and mm-hmm. still find other useful ideas as well. Yeah. Um, so that's my caveat filled, like half recommendation for Big Magic <laughs> by Elizabeth Gilbert. I think we, I think we, I think we helped some people today, Rebecca. I hope. I think we did. did. I think we did some good work here. We have. We should. We can pat ourselves on the back. I'd like to thank uh, Grand Central for sponsoring the show with their book club promotion and giveaway. Go check out. There's a link in the show notes there. Audiobooks.com. Go check out audiobooks.com. Get yourself a free premium audiobook with the promo code Book Riot there. Alcrate. Go to alcrate.com. Check them out. You can use, let me let me get the out let me get the Alcrate offer code just wired just right for you. Uh, it is. I can't remember if it's a Book Riot ten. All one word for 10% off there. And protect America. Protect your, your stuff. You know, lock the doors. Get some, get some help. Make sure it's all safe. We'll talk to you guys next week. We're back to news. Got some pe- interesting pent-up news to do next week. Looking forward to it. Have a good one.